Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Nelson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters, Mark Lepresti, Managing Director of Mineta Advisory Partners, co-founder of Battlefin, leading data platform, and a former institutional equities trader at Lehman Brothers. Alex Massioli, founder of Trade the Chain, former head of institutional prime brokerage at Bquant. John Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, former co-host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and co-founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. Everybody, welcome B3 Nation to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter Spaces, our Sunday edition. We do it on Tuesday and Thursday also at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. At Get Rev Radio, please follow at Get Rev Radio. Please share the space and follow all our amazing participants and my co-hosts, John, Alex, and Mark. Um, good to see you guys. Accelerate Tax is our is our is our sponsor, and we love to talk about our sponsors because they help make this show a possibility. As do our B three Nation listeners. No doubt, Robin. The show is sponsored. By our friends at Accelerate Tax once again. It's a name that will be familiar to many loyal B3 listeners. This is a first-rate organization that's dedicated to helping small and medium-sized businesses with less than 500 employees access funding available to them under the CARES Act. That's legislation that was passed to help companies uh, recover from the devastation, the economic devastation that was occasioned as a result of the terrible COVID pandemic. Companies that qualify can receive up to $26,000 per employee if they're able to demonstrate that they were impacted negatively by COVID in a variety of ways. Not all companies will qualify, but I encourage all fellow small business owners or small and medium-sized SMBs, as we call them on Wall Street, to head on over to AccelerateTax.com to find out more and see if your company qualifies to receive substantial potential funding under the CARES Act and the Employee Retention Credit, or ERC, program. So many thanks to the boys over at Accelerate and gals over at Accelerate Tax. Um, Mark, we had an interesting last week. Um, the Dow Jones had a happy Friday, and I'm guessing that had to do with the jobs report. What's your take? Yeah, listen, we had a, a, everyone uh, here in the United States enjoying a day off as we remembered our fallen heroes in the military that lost their lives in pursuit of the maintenance of the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans. But yes, as you pointed out, Rob, the Dow did close in the green on Friday as traders cheered a very strong, much stronger than expected jobs report, which we're going to get to later. The debt ceiling deal, part of the reason why markets closed the week up. Um, but also it seemed that the market was pleased with the jobs numbers, indicating that employment remains red hot. Uh, a beat to the upside of the estimates of the jobs report. We'll, we'll cover that in a little more depth in a minute. Um, so all the news or all, all the chatter over the weekend is, as John just accurately pointed out, what happens in June this week, a quiet period, as I think John also pointed out, where the Fed traditionally uh, does not, none of the Fed uh, governors talk in the week prior to an FOMC meeting, 13-14 being the dates of the next meeting. And I agree with Dr. J. I think we're going to get what we've come to refer to as a hawkish pause, right? We we love in finance to go on with all these cute little nicknames, uh, you know, a soft default, a hawkish pause. But I think that's what we're going to be looking at. The Fed will pause in, in, in June um, when they come out with the statement on the 14th, on the second day of the FOMC meetings. But the uh, uh, J-PAL will, I think, exclusively say, or explicitly say, rather, that um, that does not mean we're done hiking for the year. And I think it makes the likelihood of cuts before the end of the year even less likely. Interesting. Alex, do you want to weigh in with a, a crypto overview, your crypto minute, which is not really a minute, but what are the, what's the state of the crypto markets this weekend? I'm glad I brought... 
Nick onto the show with me today yet again because he's going to be the spike my to my boring soup of an overview of the crypto market. Uh, listen, extremely light day. Uh, 1.15 trillion uh, total market cap, absolutely even. The total trading volume of 19.4 billion. Bitcoin, though, uh, after that uh, that that crash in uh, overnight Asia markets the other day, back up. Over the twenty-seven thousand mark today, twenty-seven two, um, and the, the very uh, similar uh, chart pattern with Ethereum as well. The problem we're having: Bitcoin traded eight and a half billion today, down forty percent in relative trading volume. Ethereum three and a half billion, down nearly fifty percent in relative trading volume. Um, you know, hey, what's going on? Can we for? I'm going to let Nick take that second half of it away. Yeah, I appreciate that, Alex. Uh, a very good synopsis to, to kick it off. Um, you know, very much agree with a lot of what you said. You know, another another very low volume weekend, um, as as is expected. You know, many people take the weekend off, and crypto is the only twenty four seven market, so um, that is very much to be expected. But when we look at the chart, Bitcoin and Ethereum still surviving at those critical support levels. You've heard me talk about twenty six point five k nearly every show for the past couple of weeks, and that's really what we've been hovering around. Every time we tap it, um, we either, you know, deviate just directly under and back over it or, you know, obviously launch right off the 26.5K level. So, again, I'm still looking for longs above 26.5K, but the weaker the reaction, the more likely we are to break through it. So um, considering the fact that we were unable to get above the four hour estimated 200 moving average or the weekly view up throughout the entire week today definitely signals some weakness from Bitcoin. But surprisingly, Surprisingly enough, um, Ethereum has gained a lot of strength versus Bitcoin over the past couple of weeks right now. Um, if I'm just checking the chart right now, over the past week or so, ETH is up um, more than 5% compared to Bitcoin, which is something to very much take note of. Uh, just because it is up you know, relative to Bitcoin does not mean it needs to continue, but uh, we would expect that relative strength to push into the week. So if you are trading Ethereum or Bitcoin, it does look like ETH is the strongest stronger asset. But um, there's a few other coins and, and thoughts that we have in regard to the crypto market um, that we can discuss a little bit later. But it really comes down to that 26.5k level. It's been a bit boring. But every time it tags that level, we do get some volatility and some uh, some interest from the market makers. So uh, Nick, before you before we move on to our, our TradFi conversations, just for people who are new to the B3 Nation, Give me the quickest version of what happens if when when we cross 27 versus if we hit 25, because people who are buying in the Bitcoin space, what should they know about that from your perspective? Yeah, great question. Um, the 25K level is very significant uh, because it was the resistance that we faced in local highs during February. It was also the level um, that Bitcoin drove back down to after the US government sold in mid-March. So the 25K level has seen a lot of action earlier on in the year, and it was a big breakthrough when it happened in that mid to late March area. And it has not even sniffed the 25K level since breaking above it. I believe on March 17th. So we look at that as a very critical level. And actually, if we zoom out to the one day estimated 200 moving average, and if you don't know, the estimated 200 moving average is a very common, uh, commonly looked at indicator for either support or resistance. If price is above it, then it is acting as support. And it has been acting as support for the past couple of months. So we see that as a very significant signal. If it breaks through 25K, then we would expect um, something like 21, 22K, maybe even 20 k um, and that is why we want price to stay above it so if we break below 26.5k i definitely would set my sights and targets around the 25k area and that would be the next big signal for bull or bear as we push into q2 and q3 thanks great explanation again not financial advice just something to look at if you're making investment decisions in the crypto space let's talk about jobs market alex you brought up the jobs market the, the and you pointed out that, and I've got a number here, payrolls up 339,000 in May, which is like practically double the expectations. Jay Powell and the Fed do not like that. So we sort of touched on the interest rate conversations and everybody's saying they're going to pause, but this would be an indicator, right? That they might go, well, let's bump another 25 points. 
You know, I I know you like to mistake me for uh, Mr. Lepresti quite often because of my ansibility. Um, but I believe that was Mark you were referring to in that question. You were right. It was Mark I was referring to. <laughs> so, wow. So, Mark, you go first, and then Alex, you can win because you come out of the hedge fund world, so you've got lots to say about this too. Yeah, we're we're all, we're almost indistinguishable, uh, particularly in in person. It's it, it's it's really difficult. Um, All right, B three Nation. If you were to see the two of them, you would realize why it's absurd. That since I know them both, I would confuse them. But they both have four better names. What can you say, Alex? Uh, yeah, this is this is absolutely true. So yeah, so Rob, great setup and, and accurate, unbelievable in terms of um, just how wrong the street got the estimate for the ADP report that we got on Friday. Um, slightly under actually the previous month's tally of 291,000, right? So the street and the Fed looking for the employment picture to cool substantially, substantially with that consensus estimate of 160K. Um, interesting in terms of some dispersion between larger and smaller companies in terms of where uh, the employment picture remains strong. But, you know, listen, if this ADP report is any indication of what the Bureau of Labor Statistics report, which is upcoming, that's the next thing that we're looking at, um, you might see uh, an even further basis for the Fed uh, to consider not doing the hawkish pause, as, as is my prediction, but you can't rule out completely the possibility of a 25 basis point hike in June. I think the likelihood is even lower than the market is currently indicating, but I think it's not completely off the table. So consensus on the BLS report uh, currently is 190,000 new jobs, 165,000 in the private sector, 25,000 in the public with the unemployment rate expected to tick up from 3.4 to 3.5, a good thing that would that would indicate continued cooling in the labor market. But we shall see. I'm still betting on soft on, on hawkish pause. Well, I have I want to ask uh, real quickly, Rob, uh, to Mark. You know, listen. Uh, in the first quarter of this year, we spoke a lot about. Uh, the tech sector and the um, uh, the the massive uh, layoffs that they were doing due to their rapid expansion during COVID. Um, when we get these jobs numbers, are are we or payrolls uh, numbers? Are we still seeing uh, you know recalls back to work from the COVID epi- uh, pandemic from uh, you know industries that had to heavily cut during that rather than expand like the tech industry? Um, are numbers kind of sp- skewed towards that or are we past that i don't i don't so if i understood and heard the question completely which is debatable because the audio cut out for a second there at least on my end um i i don't see the return to work attempts uh, being a, a a major impact at least in this point on the employment picture in other words i don't think we see people saying in large numbers, if you force me to come back to the office, you know, I'm just going to sit on the couch sort of thing. Um, and I and I don't expect that. Uh, I don't expect that to change. I think we've sort of found equilibrium in terms of for the moment in terms of work from home versus work from work from the office. You're seeing the you know, the Tuesday to Thursday work week. And we certainly see it in New York City where restaurants and bars and, and nightlife on uh, Monday nights and Friday nights, which were t- traditionally very big, particularly for the restaurant industry, like completely, completely dead. And, and even Thursday, which as many New Yorkers listening now used to be the big night to go out. That was the inside thing in New York. Um, New Yorkers went out and partied their butts off on Thursday nights for some reason. But you're not doing that if you're driving back to Connecticut, New Jersey, or getting public transportation on Thursday and not coming to work on Friday. So um, I, I think we found that equilibrium in terms of that balance, and I don't know that I see that changing materially. Dr. J may have a different opinion. Dr. J? He went to grab a steak, I think. Um, okay. That that was an awesome explanation, Mark. Thank you. And and I, uh, Rob, I am with um, uh, Mark that I do believe that, uh, you know, the market has more of a push for 25 basis points than what is reality. Um, I mean, the last four weeks, five weeks, I've pushed for, yeah, it's going to happen no matter what, blah, blah, blah. 
um, now I think there's a, it's become a little soft on the uh, Fed futures uh, interest rate hike. Well, we're going to see. I mean, look, this is, like you said, we're playing this right up to the end. Like, we're, we're betting on horses here. Um, oh, but but as you said, Rob, though, I do want to answer a question that you, you didn't ask, and, and I apologize for skipping over it, um, and it's relevant to this conversation. You know, looking at looking at the VIX, and there's nobody better than John to comment on that if he's back on. You know, but we did see I never VIX close. Close. There he is. We did see the <laughs> said you wanted to get a stake. There you go. The, we did see the VIX closing on Friday at 1460, which is the lowest print since February 19th of 2020, right? And and that, that indicates volatility calming. That may be a, co- a, a combination of the debt ceiling deal being reached, right? Um, and maybe... Maybe the market thinking pause, even if it's a hawkish pause, but that's another indicator that the vast majority thinks that a hike of any kind in June is is a remote possibility. John, well, yeah, I I think the uh, uh, Fed, like I say, if they're truly data dependent, will be more likely to cut because they're starting to see a deflationary pressures, um, and those have been cited by both. Bloomberg, Fox, and CNBC. So I, I'm just kind of surprised, Mark, that the BLS report is coming out on a Wednesday uh, or a Tuesday, whichever. It's uh, the seventh, I guess. So I think that's Wednesday. I can't remember one not coming out on a Friday. I mean, I know that if you don't have enough time, they can't do it on the first Friday of the month. But I can't remember seeing one on a uh you know, a midweek, if you will. Do you remember her? Yeah. No, no. And you know what, John? I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because I'll be honest with you. It, you know, with all of the the information we digest on a daily basis, including over the weekend, to keep the knowledge dropping for the loyal B3 Nation, I missed that subtle point. It usually comes out on the first Friday of the month. I wonder if there's anything to that. And maybe our more conspiratorially minded listeners might do some digging and send us a DM on why you think the BLS report's coming out midweek following the Friday of the first week of the right. week. Very interesting. Right. Could be nothing. Yeah. Could be nothing. Well, because if we're too close to, so for instance, if we um, have like last week, just uh, Thursday was the first, Friday was the second. So we can kind of understand, and it's happened many times in the past, that if they don't have the full complement, not a whole week, but at least Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of the new month, that they'll frequently kick it to the next Friday. But this one is not kicked to Friday, and it's um, on their website. You know, when I was looking for it, it said it's coming out June uh, the uh, release date is going to be June 2nd, and all of a sudden, well, we'll have to see, Mark. It just seems odd to me. Intrepid B- B3 Nation, Mark Lepresti put it out there. You DM us the best answer, and maybe we'll just have you come on and and, and tell us tell us why if, if you pass Mark's, Mark's, Mark's screening process. Hey, John, while we're on it, let's just quickly talk about the debt ceiling. Um, we mentioned it. But Fitch is not removing us off the credit watch list. It's like we're on we're on the like most wanted list still. So does that mean we're we already put ourselves in a soft default? Why are they why are they saying we're not gonna we're not gonna move you back up yet? Because they're still now it's done. So what's left what's left to keep us on a watch list for a possible downgrade? Um, probably the fact that we're um, adding a couple trillion dollars to the debt. <laughs> I would think. I mean, you know, if, if it were you or I, Rob, um, and all of a sudden you took on um, a, a fairly significant, let's call it, you know, what, 5% more debt, they may drop your credit score. Why wouldn't the same thing be true of the government getting its credit score or its rating dropped because they actually did the same, extended um, their borrowing out there by about 5% or so? Um when you're talking, you're already over $31 trillion and you're going to take it up by another couple trillion. I don't think that uh, 
anybody but a politician would say that that's not prudent um, because for any of the rest of us, it would have done exactly that, hurt your credit rating. Shoot, you just check your credit score too much and it hurts your credit rating. Why wouldn't um, extending it out by a couple trillion dollars hurt your credit rating or at least keep them on watch for it? It just seems sort of logical. You know what's funny, though, John, about that? And I totally agree with you, and technically that's completely right. But the reason cited by officials over at Fitch was not so much about the extension and, and the further indebtedness and the extension of existing indebtedness that's implied by the extension of the of the debt ceiling, but rather the 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 political nonsense, like specifically, specifically citing repeated last minute standoffs around the debt limit and last minute suspensions before the X date, that X date being the date by which the Treasury allegedly runs out of money um, and extraordinary measures are, are used or exhausted, lowers confidence in governance on fiscal and debt matters, that there has been the firm further sign of a steady deterioration in governance, not just the extension of the debt and more indebtedness, but that this particular government, both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, equally at fault, at least according to Fitch here, for the reasons for their incredibly pessimistic outlook. So this is Fitch essentially saying, yeah, we're keeping you on credit watch negative, not only for the reasons John cited, but hey, Washington, get it the F together. Yeah. This is too important. Do not pass this pain on to the American consumer. Do not continue to make this country look foolish in the eyes of the countries that lend and extend credit to us. We're going to keep you on negative until you show that you can behave like adults. Be treated you know, like children. That, put, on your right. big, put on your big boy and girl pants or, or else we're going we're gonna to put you in timeout with our debt. That's, That's fascinating, right. Mark. That is That's fascinating. Right. Hey, everybody, you're listening to B3 Nation. You are listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter Spaces, our special Sunday edition. We do it Tuesday, Thursday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time as well. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Tweet out the space. Follow all our speakers and hosts. And we have a B3 after Beyond B3, which comes on right after our space ends. We keep it going. It's the after show where you guys, the audience, B3 Nation, get to participate. Julie Lamb hosts our Sunday edition. It's a lot of fun. It's interactive. They pick up on where we left off. She picks up on where we left off. Josh Carey does it during the week, and it's a lot of fun, so stick around for that. Uh, Alex, let me bring you into the conversation on this this meta taking on. This has been an issue that's been going on for a while, and I don't know if you followed it, so if not, someone else can jump in. But this whole j- journalism preservation act that Facebook plays around with, they did it in Australia, like different variations of basically wanting to ban news on Facebook and Instagram. In this case, it's California threatening to do it. The state's threatening to, to, to ban news. When so many people get their news from Facebook, I mean, it's crazy how many people actually read their news on Facebook. Do you know, have you followed it? Do you know what it's about? Yeah, I think I'll take this one over for Alex. Um, but uh, when looking at the the at least from the American side of things, any suppression of speech uh, is is pretty you know locked down. And and from what we can tell, um, it, when it comes to you know California doesn't want X Y Z news out. Well, the burden of proof, as we all learned with the Fox News uh, situation, it, it's very 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 high for an outlet or or someone who feels wronged by the news or by the media to then go out and claim um, that th- that they were hurt or their business was hurt or whatever. If we actually look, you know, going to the I think um, uh, a couple of families of people killed in terrorist attacks sued uh, Facebook and Google for the dissemination of that type of news saying that they were assisting the terrorists and that was shot down by the Supreme Court very recently. So whether or not you're on the side of or against it, I think we should just look at the rules as they were written and and that is the Constitution, the First Amendment. It's very broad and able for you to say as you please as long as you truly 100% do not know it is not the truth, which is very hard to determine. So um, I think it's a bit unconstitutional for anyone to be stepping into the this news is good, this news is bad spectrum. Yeah, well, leave it to California to be doing it. 
You know, I, I mean, that's, you know, it, listen, it, it's not a shocker after what we saw in the last couple of years. Speaking of rules, guys, um, the, the definition of an accredited investor, which has been around for decades, now there's a bipartisan bill, which is pretty shocking when you get a bipartisan bill these days um, out of the House to suggest the changes in the air. So, Mark, what would that look like? Why has the definition been needing an update for so long? And what's the update look like if they actually get it through the Senate and the president's scientist? Yeah, sure, sure, Rob. So so the accredited investor rule or sort of the, the big boy investor rule applies to who can and cannot invest in certain types of investments, alternative investments, broadly speaking, private placements, Companies generally that are not subject to the reporting requirements of the Investment Company Act and the Investment Act of 1940 that don't provide periodic reporting, companies that aren't publicly traded, limited partnerships, hedge funds, private credit funds, venture capital funds, things that are offered in an LP format where they're not subject to the periodic reporting requirements of the Exchange Act and the Investment Company Act. Traditionally speaking, only accredited investors, accredited investors who were generally defined to have a net worth of at least a million dollars or more, not including the value of their primary residence, would qualify as accredited. And there's been a tremendous amount of criticism around that rule, that that rule unfairly left other market participants ineligible to access different investments that could potentially that could potentially uh, provide them with an equal playing field with the big boys, the investors in hedge funds and credit funds and all those other things, and that we should not limit what defines an accredited investor to that million dollar limit, particularly because given things like inflation, the uh, in tremendous increase in the value. Of, of real estate and primary and secondary home prices over the years that this was an antiquated rule. And this bipartisan bill rare through its bipartisanship, but similarly rare because the accredited investor rule is something that the SEC and the legislature has to mess with in part because it was sort of not considered to be a red hot item. Do we really need to expand the access of investors uh, to head, you know, to hedge funds, which are generally viewed by government as evil. So, under this uh, bipartisan bill, which, as you pointed out, passed the house, passed the house, going to the Senate next, um, there would be a, a test, an exam, administered by Finra, your friends, uh, formerly known as the Nasdaq, the Financial Industry Regulatory Association, that uh, you or I could take and prove that we we're accredited through our knowledge of financial markets and not just our net worth. Interesting to see if this passes the Senate. I suspect it will. And my guesstimation is that this will be another option, not the exclusive means to prove accreditation, but another option by which you can you can prove accreditation and your eligibility for investment in alternatives. I love this, John. I mean, you know, what Alex is describing, right? It is the democratization of, again, it's a wealth-based test right now. I am love nation. A lot of people might not make it, right? Alex, it's it's good. It's it's actually opening it up for everybody. Rob, this is Mark. I'm sorry. Ah, whatever. You can't, you know what? I'm not falling for this stuff. You you confused yourself. Mark didn't even know you were asking him a question. You, I think you said, Alex, Alex, I'm going to answer my own question. <laughs> Listen, what, what Mark what Mark just mentioned is something that, particularly as he pointed out in the alternative asset industry, uh, we've had to deal with forever. And I think the biggest the biggest breaking point among the uh, common folk who are active investors is it's very difficult in certain times to reach those thresholds. Um, so I'm in agreement. I think it's going to change. I've, I've thought it's had to change for the last decade, to be honest with you. Um, and I'm glad we have somebody like. Uh, Mark on here to break it down uh, from as a reformed profession. I, I just hope I didn't put everybody to sleep, Alex. But it, but you didn't, of course, Mark. Never. It's it is fascinating though. I mean, and John to bring you into it. I mean, is there any downside to this? Like, it essentially means anybody can do it if you can pass the test. It's merit based. You qualify. You don't have to have X amount of money to do it. Yeah, that uh, that Rob is uh, interesting. But Mark is far more expert at this than I am. So I, I generally don't 
uh, traverse into this area. Mark, is there any downside? You know, listen, I, I don't think there's any meaningful downside. Um, I think people need to be informed about alternatives, right? I, I don't I think because the existing rule is so outdated because of inflation and because of the, the number of people that can qualify as accredited under the old rule. Um, I don't know, and I don't have any statistics on this, Rob, to say whether or not this is going to massively expand that you know total addressable market. And, and listen, particularly with this Gary Gensler-led SEC, if we suddenly see tons more retail investors coming into the market that you know, pass this accreditation test but really don't belong there, we would see action from the SEC. The other thing we're going to point out, by the way, is that alternative investments have already been somewhat democratized as a consequence of the JOBS Act, passed, of course, under the Obama administration, through which we got Regulation CF, which is crowdfunding, where we have you know, uh, 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 not only crowdfunding, but Regulation A, uh, Reg C crowdfunding, and that's why you have things like Start Engine and Republic and so much money being raised from the crowd, through which you don't need to be accredited to participate. So I think we're already sort of pregnant with expanding access to alternatives, and we'll see how meaningful this does in terms of expanding that audience. Mark really is like an encyclopedia, right? I mean, like you, you it's, I'm going to have like ask a question Mark can't answer. Yeah, the one thing I just wanted to, to put a, a bow on this before people do start falling asleep, you know, back in the old days when uh, when Mark and I were actively in the hedge fund space in New York City and the Jobs Act, I mean, for for four, five, six years, every conference we went to was about the Jobs Act. It, it was you wanted to shoot yourself in the head. Um, but one of the things was the advertising component of it. And Mark, I'm really upset we never saw a .72 Super Bowl commercial. <laughs> it, it might it might be boring, although I think you're seeing maybe perhaps a .72 indirect commercial. Mets, but that's all. The reality of it is, the hedge fund industry never really adopted the new uh, loosened regulation that you're referring to about advertising that was passed under the Jobs Act for a whole host of reasons that will 100% put this audience to sleep. So I'm going to pass on that comment. Rob, let's move on to the next potential topic. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, bringing it back to where we started. Um, so as I said, I just hosted a town hall with, with Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Alex and John was for Puerto Ricans. It was virtual, but for expats and living in Puerto Rico, John and Alex were part of it. So, John, I'll start this one with you. Um, so, when we look of candidates, now we're hearing about Jamie Dimon, and I think that's fascinating because I do think, and actually, Brock Pierce was on with Neil Cavuto the other day talking about it because Neil asked him about Jamie Dimon, and Brock obviously ran as an independent in the last election and saying the scrutiny that a business executive will get and whether there's an appetite in this country for that person. Not that Jamie Dimon's done anything wrong. It's just they're under an extra special spotlight. So your thoughts about that? Yeah, I would agree. Um, anybody who runs uh, is going to be under that same spotlight. And Jamie um, is a super smart guy. He's a friend. I actually have his uh, phone number on my phone. But I would... Uh, I would counsel him not to run. Uh, I mean, the guy has uh, had uh, a couple of uh, health scares. Um, he's overcome them, but these were not minor scares. And I would just want him to enjoy uh, the rest of his life as much as he can. And I think going into politics late in life like this is uh, just a bad decision. I don't care who it is. Brock is considerably younger than me, um, and if he wants to do something crazy like that, let him. But I have, would have no interest, and I think, you know, uh, Jamie should be, when he finally steps away from uh, J.P. Morgan, just go out and, you know, be on some charitable boards and enjoy himself. He shouldn't be putting more stress on a body that has had to endure an awful lot of stress from 2000 to 2008, and now 
you know, with the COVID lockdowns and so forth. So I'd say just go out and enjoy, Jamie. And, and Alex, you know, you're, I mean, again, you know, it's everybody is, I think anybody other than the main candidates will have a very hard time gaining much traction, no matter who you are, unless you are a huge celebrity. But would Jamie Dimon be a friendly, uh, friendly to crypto? Uh, I, I don't think he would. And, and I don't think uh, it would necessarily be personal either. Um, I think it would just be, uh, you know, the way it is as him as a good businessman. Um, I'm in agreement with John. Uh, Jamie's done a lot. He is a, a superb businessman. I don't think anybody can dispute it, um, uh, especially with his tenure uh, at Jamie. Um, the fact of the matter is he should just retire. I, at this point, I really don't know who would want to be president of the United States. You need to, I think that's a very niche market these days. It's a niche market. Hey, Mark, but it may be a niche market, but this, at the scope of which J.P. Morgan keeps growing, and if we have a bunch of regional bank collapses and J.P. Morgan sucks, sucks them all up, Diamond would essentially maybe be heading up the biggest bank other than the Fed. So, I mean, yeah. it could be running things. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you, you might one might argue that Jamie's already there, Rob, right? Um, I mean, and, and look, John is absolutely right. Uh, it, John and I both, live, and, I, and I'll leave it at this, John and I, at the risk of privacy violations, John and I both have unique insight into uh, what, what it means for someone to dedicate their life to an elected office. It, it, it does have... Uh, a, a lot of toll, uh, you know, personally, mentally, and otherwise, and and it, it's it's also as we become more partisan, unfortunately, in this country, it becomes more thankless. I, I'm curious, though, just to turn it back to you, John, for a second. Do you think Jamie's serious, and and what do you make of Ackman kind of goading him on? Um, maybe Ackman's just encouraging him because he's had dealings with him, and he thinks he's uh, and he is a very smart guy. Um, but I, I don't think Jamie and his family would be serious about this. Um, I, I would hope not because like I say, I, I question why the sitting president is doing to himself what he is doing, um, after 47 years in Congress, um, this guy is not all there and he is, uh, you know, stressing himself up beyond belief he can't stand as long as candidates are you know necessitate them to stand at a podium and you know we see evidence after evidence of him struggling and why you know it's it, let a younger person move into that role i don't care yeah. who it is yeah, and you know, Ronnie Jackson, who's a member of Congress now, all, he is a Republican, but he was the White House doctor to Trump, but also to Obama. John just echoed that yesterday saying, uh, you people, this man is not cognitively or physically fit for the rigors of four more years of being president. But last note on this, John and Alex, that does bring up where RFK Jr., who's polling around 20 percent. There's, I would not rule him completely out because so many people are concerned about Biden and he is running as a Democrat. So I'm curious your guys' thoughts, last thoughts on having listened to him. Do you think he has a strong appeal for the independents and even moderate Republicans, given what you heard him say today? What I heard him say, yeah. oh, sorry. Um, but, but I, would, I would think that um, he, you know, not being an elected official, um, just like Jamie Dimon not being an elected official, like Marianne Williamson not being an elected official, I, I think it's a really tough hoe. Um, you know, we've really just seen, you know, Donald Trump do it from the public eye, being a TV uh, host, being a, uh, a wealthy inherited guy that, uh, you know, is a massive real estate speculator. Uh, None of these other folks, uh, I, I don't think, have the chops to do it. That's just my feeling. But I think that um, he, he has a lot of interesting uh, uh, progressive ideas, Mr. Kennedy does, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and he showed that today. Uh, but I don't know that uh, he's got that strong of a shot, unless the president... Uh, keeps slipping and falling and eventually hurts himself to the point where he can't run. 
John loves the whole slip and fall thing going on. Uh, he's going to milk that for a little bit. Um, the uh, you, you know, I, I agree with John. I, I think RFK, uh, although he has a very pedigreed uh, family when it comes to uh, government, um, I think him by himself not doing that is going to be an uphill challenge. Uh, first of all, I think it is for, for anybody who runs. Um, not impossible, but uh, very difficult. And then there was even... You know, Mitt Romney, there was uh, uh, a, a movie that came out, a documentary that came out a couple of years ago about uh, his run uh, for presidency behind the scenes. It's a very, very grueling road. It takes a toll on you personally. It takes a toll on your family. Uh, everybody who's been running lately is uh, a little older um, in age. Uh, it, it's definitely a physical sport almost at this point. Um, but I do like what RFK, uh, you know, has to say, uh, I first met him 25 years ago, uh, in New York city at a dinner. Um, I liked his ideology then, or most of it. And, uh, and, and I like a lot of his ideology today. Well, and he did say not in this one, but the first time I interviewed him that the, one of the first things he'd do is get rid of Gary Gensler at the SEC. So you'd, you'd get rid of the poser there, John. Mark, you want to weigh in uh, before we sw- switch to our crypto block? Marcus Silent. Mark went to get a steak too. Mark went to get a steak too. All right. You're making me hungry. <laughs> Let's get Sorry steak. Steaks for beef station. I lost uh, Alex's audio and, and briefly yours and didn't hear the question. It's all right. I was asking if you wanted to weigh in on the RFK conversation, whether he would be good for the business community and whether no. they liked what they'd heard. You weren't part of the thought, public. Not weighing in. Okay, then we're, we're yeah, to the it's Bulls, Bears, okay. and blockchain Twitter. Well, he got rug pulled. Mark has an anti-spaces cell phone. I, I think he needs <laughs> I think so. Mark, Mark got cut off. The only thing I'll say, we did not do that. <laughs> B3 Nation, you're listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Twitter Spaces. This is our Sunday edition. We also do a Tuesday, Thursday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can follow us, and please do. It matters to us at GetRevRadio. Follow all of us, the host speakers, and uh, please tweet out the space. And remember, as soon as we finish this, we go to Beyond B3. Julie Lamb hosts the Sunday edition where you guys all get to be part of the conversation. It's a lot of fun. Alex, Nick, let's talk a little about the Doge Father. Um, so what's going on with Elon, um, who owns the platform we are on, continuing to get in trouble? So there's a now it's a class action lawsuit against him for for – Basically, his support for Dogecoin, Dogecoin. Well, it is it is Dogecoin. Um, yeah, it's another it's another crypto class action suit. Uh, these have been very common uh, in the last uh, past couple of years uh, when investors uh, lose money. Well, Rob, uh, I, I hope you can hear me before. So this is an, an amendment, right? The plaintiffs in an existing class action I don't lawsuit think against be- Elon Musk for allegedly min- Did he get rugged again? I think so. <laughs> you just keep cutting in and out on us. I don't think he can hear Alex. I don't think he heard you, Alex. It's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I see Nick wanting to weigh in. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to kind of pick up where Mark left off. So the current the current lawsuit is, like Mark said, an amendment to an original class action lawsuit associated uh, or that was filed in June of 2022, accusing Musk of, um, you know, obviously manipulating the price of Dogecoin and other cryptocurrencies through the acceptance at Tesla, SpaceX, yada, yada, yada. Now they're adding on to the original complaint from June 2022, basically saying that Musk further manipulated the price of Doge by making the Twitter logo the Doge icon for a, a couple of days right around that April 1st date of 2023. So um, they're basically, you know, it's been a multi-year class action lawsuit that they're basically making an amendment on and trying to acquire more capital from Musk if they win the lawsuit. What does this do for the coin? Is this good for the coin? 
Um, it, 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 this is one of the times where I refuse to step into the coin from a trading perspective, because if you're looking at both sides of the coin, you can make a fantastic argument either side. One, Doge is in the news, people are talking about it. But on the other side, Elon may not be able to tweet or do anything related to Doge, which has been a source of price action. And the news is not very positive. Therefore, I would not touch Doge until this news kind of washes away and something else takes over uh, a, with Doge as the forefront or something you know uh, ends up being closed out in relation to this case. But relax on Doge trading over the next couple of weeks, because if you're a probabilities trader, you can make a fantastic case that it's going to go up or down based on attention or negative uh, attention, you know? And let's talk about some other coins. I know earlier on, Nick, you brought up some other things that, you know, other than Bitcoin and Ethereum that were interesting. So if you want to jump in on some of that, be curious what you're seeing trending, what's it, you know, what's sticking out to you beyond the, the two biggies. Yeah, so every coin that I'm going to mention here is never a, an invite to jump in immediately. Um, they obviously are all coming with a bit of attention already on them and their own narratives around them. But I do believe that if the majors continue to rise higher, such as Bitcoin is, as I speak, getting above that weekly uh, uh, that weekly VWAP and, and uh, four-hour estimated 200 moving average, which is very important. So if Bitcoin and Ethereum do continue towards the 28K um, and above 1900 uh, number, then I do believe that these coins will likely have a pretty good week or potentially month of June. So the first one is Litecoin. Uh, it's having is in early August. I believe the date was August 2nd, last time I checked earlier in the week. And if anyone's familiar with the Bitcoin bull case, the happening is typically a, uh, a bull construct narrative in which a lot of people rally around Bitcoin and, pri and historical price action. So Litecoin is going through its having moments in about one month, and therefore it should continue higher based on historical precedent. Again, just because it happened does not mean it will continue to happen in the future. But you know, this is how we look for patterns. The other one is XRP. Apparently, uh, in mid-June, there is supposed to be more documentation released in regard to a, a complaint that a Ripple and the X and the SEC have been sparring over for quite some time. I believe it is, quote-unquote, the Hinman documents, and this is related to some internal SEC documentation uh, and, and emails and, and narratives that went around during the uh, initial lawsuit itself. So the XR or Ripple's trying to prove that the SEC has nefarious means rather than, you know, true legal means. Um, so if that documentation comes out in support of Ripple, I would expect bullish price action on the heels of that as well. And then Solana recently has formed its own unique narratives uh, due to being down 97% peak to trough during the crypto bear market. It is now only down 91% peak to trough, but Solana transaction daily transactions are still quite high. There is a lot of activity and I believe it is still a top three crypto network in terms of pure play transaction. So if you believe that a coin that is down 91% from its peak, while other coins such as Ethereum are nowhere near that, and is still getting a lot of activity, then you're probably going to want to enter that for a long term play or at least a short term bullish one. So not saying buy any of these right now or today. But if majors continue higher, those three coins have fantastic narratives going into the month of June. And yeah, Rob, and real quick, yeah. I know we're uh, we're low on time for the first hour here, but I will say to what Nick mentioned with the uh, XRP, the Ripple lawsuit against the SEC, uh, we're we're looking at that really carefully. We're you know we're seeing the filings, we're we're trying to read through the tea leaves. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that when this lawsuit, which has been going on for uh, a you know a number of years now, if this comes out in Ripple's favor. It's going to change a few precedents that have happened over the last couple of years. So we're keeping an eye on it. It will change the trajectory of the market to a certain degree as well. Hey, and it is, it is undoubtedly, I'm hoping you all can hear me. It is undoubtedly the most watched crypto related case that's pending in the courts right now. I know you probably all lost me when we were talking about the class action against Elon, the Doge father, as it relates to Dogecoin. Uh, but I think that this one is far more important in terms of, as, as Alex just said, setting a potential legal precedent and turning the tables a little bit directionally from our friend Gigi the Poser and his enforcement regulation through enforcement approach that has uh, completely defined his entire administration as the SEC chair. 
So interesting. And Alex, you know, Nick mentioned the having, and we've talked, we talked about it a little earlier. Quick sidebar question to you guys. Does the having have the potential implication to hurt Bitcoin miners? To see them like, you know, be, because of what will happen, it might be good if you're, if you're, if you own Bitcoin, but if you're mining it, right, you could suddenly find your profit margins really squeezed. You do have by a point nature. there. Oh, go ahead, Alex. No, I was just going to say, I mean, by, by, by nature, it does, right? So it, it has a reward value to it. And if you factor in, uh, you know, an economic downturn in the BTC uh, cycle, uh, then, yeah, quite so. We saw this happen a couple of years ago before the last bull market uh, where miners were running at uh, deficits uh, um, and, and really, uh, you know, kind of inspired growth of the uh, – uh, borrow lend market in crypto as they were they were lending out uh, their crypto for rehypothecation in order to get cash to pay their bills. Interesting. Nick, did you want to comment? Yeah, no, I completely no, I was I was actually going to very much echo what Alex said. So he he covered it for me. It's uh it will likely, you know, what what we always see is, you know, it's short term adaptation and and long term profit margins. So, um, you know, and if we think about Nvidia and other companies like that with a ha with a with another having and difficulties increasing and a kind of a new type of business model and market being created because you have to adapt to these new models, um, you know, I would also, you know take a peek at companies that may may benefit from purchases of hardware that could uh you know a, a assist these new models uh and and uh profit margins awesome well listen guys let's get a quick uh you know last thoughts john something you're looking forward something you're excited about week ahead just one thing sienna c-i-e-n um got earnings i think on tuesday after the bell rub and uh that and uh, Mark and I are going to be out in L.A. with a whole bunch of micro cap stocks. Um, it's called the LD micro uh, event. And uh, there's going to be, I think, 400 companies there. So I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to uh, being out at our uh, up in Napa for our trading at the end of the week because we've got a two day live trading thing going on up in Sonoma. And other than that, I'm just happy uh, that the sun's going down here because it was over 100 today. Hot in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Um, Mark Lepresny, what do you what do you got? What are you excited about next week? Yeah, I'm 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 certainly looking forward to joining John at LD Micro. Um, it is one of the larger small cap events where we try to find uh, some some interesting up and coming uh, companies. Uh, to to invest in and and see what they're working on technology wise, and I have also been invited to speak uh, at the Market Rebellion VIP Traders Expo in Sonoma. So looking forward to that. John and I going to be very jetting there. Uh, our favorite means of travel, another B three sponsor, Verijet, uh, that runs a fleet of those unbelievable SF fifty Cirrus Vision jet planes, the only jet in the world with a parachute in the nose. Uh, so we'll be very happy to be reporting more on that uh, and coming to you all live, probably from Sonoma, I think, John, on Thursday night for Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. All right, Alex, something you're excited about in the week ahead? Yeah, looking for a little volatility. Uh, you know, going to try to put that red cap on again and just make volatility great again. Um, get some winning trades. I know that, uh, you know, Nick here is busy at work every day uh, to find the alpha for us. Um, as well as a couple events, one event in particular coming up in uh, the Caribbean later in the month um, with some extremely OG crypto people. Can't talk too much about that, but uh, very much looking forward to the month of June. Awesome. Well, Alex, Mark, John, and Nick, thank you all. Um, Thanks for joining Rob Nelson, Alex Massioli, Mark Lapresti, and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io, helping you make smarter financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.